Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent, I'm bold towards you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I'm present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as we walked according to the flesh. For even though we walk in the flesh, he says, we don't war after the flesh. So, and what we're going to see here just a little later on, there's another accusation that there are those in Corinth trying to undermine Paul. And if you've been here for any of this series in 2 Corinthians, uh, you kind of know that setting. Where, where Paul is really given a defense that he is pure in motive. He's doing what he's doing for the glory of God. He's doing what he's doing because he truly loves this church. He truly cares for them. But there are those that are trying to undermine him, it seems like, to the other, uh, the other members of the church. And so Paul's given a defense. And one of the things they're saying is like, Paul, you really talk a big talk with your letters. But in person you cowered back and you, you're, you're not bold. And he's saying, well, look, I'm, yeah, there's some things that need to be said, so I'm saying them, but look, when I'm with you, when I'm in person, I'm trying to be, to be meek and humble, right? And he says, like Christ was. And we see like with Christ, like there were, were there times that he was bold? Absolutely. When he was rebuking the religious leaders of his day. And yes, we see that, but but also Christ exemplified humility and meekness. And important thing for us to understand too. Sure, are there times where we have to maybe be direct? Of course. But our approach with maybe it's relational conflict in our life should be one of, of meekness and humility. It seemed like this last week especially had multiple conversations with people who are just extremely frustrated in the workplace because whether it's other coworkers or an employer uh, doesn't approach things with a meekness and humility. Now, again, some of it maybe is like, well, yeah, a boss has to be a boss sometimes, right? But if we can approach those conflicts in our life with a little more meekness and humility, I think that we would see, first of all, that's going to be honoring to Christ. We're following his example. And also, too, it's important to realize meekness isn't, isn't weakness. Like you've heard this quote probably before that you're never persuasive when you're abrasive. Well, that's true, right? In fact, usually when someone's abrasive with us, we just bristle up even more. You know, our tone matches, matches theirs. Well, well, Paul's saying, look, I'm, yes, I, I know the letters are bold. I know that I'm writing some bold things, but... He says, look, I'm, I'm coming to you, um, I'm coming to you, you know, with meekness and humility is how I'm approaching you. So there's trying to say, some are trying to say, well, he's walking after the flesh. And Paul says, well, we, we walk after the flesh. In other words, we live in this world and we have this body, this flesh and bone. Now, those who know the Lord, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. But we are, we're being made holy and more like Christ each and every day. So we still walk in this flesh. But he's saying it's important that we aren't going to war or fight spiritual battles in a fleshly way. In fact, he's saying, here's one of the proofs that I'm called of God. I'm an apostle. That I'm sent of God is 
I am not going to fight spiritual battles with physical weapons. Why? He says the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And he's going to go on to say casting down imaginations and everything that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. One of the signs he's showing of really his credentials of being an apostle, being called of God is first, look, he's trying to be Christ-like in his approach with meekness and humility. But not only that, he's saying, look, I'm not going to fight spiritual battles in a carnal or a physical way. And wow, what an application that we could make from that, amen? Because we are at war. And many times, I think we live our, our lives, and I'm talking in a spiritual sense here. We live our lives, and we plan our lives, and we plan our day, and we make plans and provisions for a time of peace, when really we need to understand that we are in a time of spiritual warfare, that we have an enemy. That when you trusted Christ as your Savior, that Satan was not happy with that. In fact, Paul even talks about in Ephesians about how that we wrestle not against, not against physical enemies and opponents, but there's spiritual battle taking place. He says it's against Satan, it's against principalities, it's against the rulers of darkness of this world. We have an enemy and sometimes the greatest enemy, even though Satan and this world system are enemies... Sometimes it's our own flesh, our, our own mind and imaginations can sometimes be our greatest enemy. And Paul's saying, don't make the mistake of going into a spiritual battle and trying to fight with physical means. Now, that's not an excuse to not follow certain things God has told us to follow. Like, like for example... Right, if you have a conflict with someone, well, the scripture talks about how we should approach that and handle that, going directly to them. And then if they don't listen, we bring others, right? And to try to reconcile this. So if there's a conflict and you're just ignoring it and saying, well, I'm just going to pray about it, well, pray yes, pray first, pray hard, pray fervently, but don't ignore the things God has told you to do. So we're not saying ignore those things. Things. Like if, if someone's assaulting you and trying to harm you, like, should you pray? Yes. But as you're praying, defend yourself, protect yourself. This isn't an, an excuse to ignore things that we should do. But what Paul's saying is this, ultimately, it's a spiritual battle that we're in. And he says, but our weapons are mighty. They are mighty through God. And he says, it's going to be pulling down these strongholds. So we shouldn't use physical means to fight spiritual battles. Like we're just playing right into the hands of Satan. Again, sometimes those attacks are from Satan. Sometimes it's our own mind. But we don't want to play that game, so to speak, of, of fighting those things in that way. So I've used illustrations before about how I used to, I used to coach basketball. I used to coach middle school and high school kids uh, when I coached basketball and loved it, really enjoyed it. And so we developed kind of a system, because I did it for about nine years. So we developed a system where we had a certain style of play. We loved to just get out and really run and play at a really fast pace like that. And we got, we got fairly good at it. And you know what we would love? We loved it when we would play teams who weren't used to that, 
But then they tried to mimic that. And they would, we played, they would try to play, and they would try to enter into our game, and they would try to play our style instead of played what they were used to. Well, I think sometimes we just enter into that battle and that arena of Satan that he wants us to enter of trying to fight a spiritual battle in a physical way. And again, are there times we need to take action and do things? Of course. But you know what we need to recognize? The battle that we're fighting is a battle that's, that's spiritual. It's against Satan and demons. And as I mentioned, when we believe these lies of Satan, sometimes it's our own flesh, our own thoughts. And that's why Paul says we need to cast down those imaginations, the things or a belief that is exalting itself against the knowledge of God. Because whether we acknowledge this or like this, there is a major clash and collision of, of, of thinking, of how we view the world. And there's a way of thinking that is opposed to what God says in his word. And we see those things exalting themselves on a daily basis. And as believers, we can't believe those things. We can't follow those things. We need to cast those things down. So he talks about pulling down a stronghold. So Paul was from, uh, was from Tarsus, which was, would have been in like the uh, Cilicia region. And one thing that that was known for is they would have these like rock fortresses that they built. And they were like, they were strongholds. And what they would do, they built those to be able to fight and to fight specifically against the Romans. Well, when the Romans came in and, and invaded, what they did is they would defeat their enemies. And then they went up to those, those stone strongholds and they tore them down brick by brick. So that someone couldn't use them again to fight against them. And this is the imagery that Paul has in mind when he's writing this. Saying, listen, what we need to do is we need to pull down those strongholds. All of these thoughts. All of these things that are exalting themselves up against God. Against the knowledge of God. These ways of thinking that are contrary to God. And contrary to his word. We need to cast down those imaginations. We need to pull down those strongholds. Because the weapons that we should be fighting with are not ineffective. They are powerful. Powerful weapons. But yet there's a lot of strongholds in our life. That we need to pull down. There's things that are exalting themselves up against the knowledge of God. And please know this. Many times we see the outward symptom. But what I'm proposing is it's not the outward symptom that is the real battle. It's a spiritual battle that we need to tear down. He says casting down those imaginations. Everything. Everything and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And he says to bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Why? Because there's a belief system. There are, are things that are exalting themselves against God. That we see on a daily basis. There's the lies that Satan bombards us with, that we then start believing. We start listening to, we start dwelling upon them, we believe them, and then what happens is we act upon those lies. 
the lie of you're not loved, you're not worthy, you're not good enough, or the lie of God's keeping you from something. See, Satan's tactics are the same. They can be effective if we don't cast, those, cast that thinking down with the truth of God's word. But what did Satan do? All the way back in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, he comes to Adam and Eve with a lie. God's keeping you from something. Yeah, that tree, you can have all of this. All, you can eat all, all these trees except that one. Well, you know why God said don't eat of that one? Because if you eat it, you're going to be like God. You're going to know all that. Yeah, God's keeping you from something. And so what happened? Eve listened to the lie. She dwelled on the lie. She believed it. And then what? she then acted on that. And I know you've heard me use this before or point this out before. This isn't new if you've been at Crosspoint very long. But when we talk about things like spiritual warfare, you know, a lot of us, you know what we think of? We think of like really creepy, demonic things like books flying across the room and, and no one was there. It just, you know, it was like some kind of demonic activity. And we think of, we, we, we think of maybe like these like really weird noises or visions or scary, creepy, like ghost-like things. And, and I'm not saying some of those things can't happen in spiritual warfare. But primarily what spiritual warfare is, is a battle of believing a lie versus believing the truth. And Satan's constantly telling you lies. And our own imagination, our own flesh sometimes could be our greatest enemy to believe these lies. Like, well, God's keeping me from something. Or God doesn't truly love me. Or I am inadequate and insufficient and that is partly true but yet through Christ we find our sufficiency and ability and strength and Paul's even going to talk about later on look stop comparing and, and recognize God has a lane for you to run and that's literally the analogy he's going to use but yeah we can believe these lies and maybe today you struggle you're struggling with that and, and you think it's like well you know I, I need to fight this with external means I need to fight this with, with some type of medication. Or I need to fight this with just staying busy. I need to fight this with getting a new ha habit or new hobby and something to take my mind off of these things. And now those things can be helpful. Those things can be effective to a certain degree. But ultimately, the battle is a battle that's a spiritual battle. The battle of our mind. That you're listening to lies that Satan is bombarding you with and that your own flesh is starting to believe. Your own mind is starting to believe what? The things that are exalting themselves against the knowledge of God. This major collision that we see of a culture in a world and our own mind can start believing these lies that are bombarding us on a daily basis. So how do we fight that? How do we overcome this battle of the mind? How do we pull these strongholds down? Well, we def defeat the lies with truth. That's why we need to saturate ourselves with the word of God. That's why we need to saturate ourselves. And again, I think this is a fair comparison. I understand there's a certain context here. Paul's defending his apostleship, you know, but there, there's, there's two dangers sometimes, you know, when we're, we're reading a passage like this, right? We can just, you know, pull a verse out and, you know, make it say what we wanted it to say and completely ignore the context. 
But then again, we can just like, we can read it and know all the background and all the history and like, but not understand there's an application for us today. And if Paul is talking about the spiritual battle that's taking place and the need to pull down these strongholds in the battle of our mind, what I'm proposing is, listen, so do we. So do we. The Corinthians were, were falsely judging him because of a false mindset, a false mentality. And Paul says, look, we need to, we need to cast down those imaginations, cast down those things that are exalting itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And I ask you, what, what lies are you believing? What lies am I believing? What are those strongholds in our life? Maybe it's been manifest by a certain like addiction or a certain like habitual sin that you're struggling with. But what I'm proposing is this, that the ultimate battle though is in the battle of our mind. Having the right thinking, understanding we combat the lies with truth. Pulling down, casting down those imaginations, casting down those things that exalt themselves against Christ. And know this, that our weapons, they are mighty through God. They're mighty through God, the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 6, he says, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So Paul's saying, look, yes, these things need to be addressed and, and will, but he seems like what his heart is saying is, I want you, I want you to take action yourself, church. I want you to take action in overcoming this with obedience, doing what you know God wants you to do. He says, do we look on things after the outward appearance? Verse 7. If any man trusts to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. So in a moment, Paul's going to talk about how, man, they're, they're like, some of these people, they're actually like taking shots, like personal shots at him about how he looks and what his appearance is like. I mean, like really low blows. You say, look, you're of Christ. So am I. So my, why are you, why are you making these unfair criticisms? It, it almost seems like it's not a direct jab, but it almost seems like Paul's taking a jab back. Like you're, you know, you're criticizing my appearance or what you think is my lack of ability. He's like, well, you know, you're not winning a beauty pageant yourself, guys. And you're of Christ's. Hey, so am I. I just like you feel loved and cherished and part of Christ. He's like, well, I'm also of Christ. He says that for Though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for education, not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed that I may seem as if I would terrify you by letters. He says, for the letters, for his letters say they. So they're saying, well, Paul's letters, they're weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak. His speech is contemptible. So they're, again, they're taking a shot at his, what they think is a lack of ability. Now, they loved the flowery, uh, smooth orators of their day, you know, and that's not how Paul spoke. Now, again, when he was approaching them directly, it seemed like it was very meek, right? But when, when you read some of Paul's like actual sermons, like there were times it was really bold and Paul was like just straight to the point and it, they apparently didn't appreciate that. They say, oh, his speech is contemptible. 
Maybe it was something that there was something that they looked at as an inability. Maybe an insecurity. Maybe I ask you this, have you, have you experienced being maybe misjudged? Maybe you've experienced being overlooked or looked down upon because what others perceive is, an, is a, a lack of ability. Now, this isn't to say that as God gifts us or enables us with certain things, that there aren't some outward ability that's going to be evident. I think that God does. In fact, we're going to talk about how God equips us each uniquely and differently. But yet, I think that it's important for us to recognize is that there are going to be those that aren't going to appreciate that, that are maybe going to make you feel inadequate or insecure. And I'm proposing if the Apostle Paul, who was used in a tremendous way by God, who 2,000 years later, we are still blessed to be able to read the scripture that God used him as the human instrument. It came from the mind of God. But yet God used him in such a great way to plant churches, to write scripture. And yet it seemed like he still was faced with those that tried to undermine him and overlook him. And even take shots at what they thought was a lack of ability or a lack of like great physical appearances. And what I'm saying is we maybe can relate. Maybe we've faced that same thing. And maybe you truly are battling with an insecurity or an inferiority because of words or actions of others. May I say this like these guys tried to do this same thing. With Paul, they misjudged him. This was a result of, of, un, uh, of ungodly thinking is that they were misjudging him. It says, oh, his, his letters are powerful, but his bodily presence is weak. His speech is contemptible. Let such an one think this, that such as we are by the word, by letters, when we're absent, such will we be also indeed when we're present. He says, look, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. He says, it's not wise to compare yourself with others. Again, understand this, this context. They're falsely judging him. And, and what they're doing is they're basically patting themselves on the back. They're doing what Proverbs, the wisdom book says not to. It says, you know, let another person praise you, not your own lips. But they were commending and applauding themselves and trying to compare. And Paul's saying, look, this isn't wise. This isn't wise when you're comparing yourself to others. And again, I think an application for us today is let's not do the same thing. Let's not play that comparison game. Because here's what happens when we are comparing with other people. One of two things usually happens. We can look down on people and we can have an arrogance about ourselves. We can be prideful when we look down on others ability compared to ours or what we think is a lack of ability compared to ours. We can be prideful or we can become just devastated and that can lead to jealousy. Right? Because we can look at someone else's gift, someone else's opportunity, 
And it seems like, well, why don't I have that opportunity? Why don't I have that gift? And the reality is, was we're going to look at, because God's created us uniquely, God has a lane for us to run in, that he's not called the person next to you to run in. And, and so stop comparing. Now, can we be inspired by someone? Of course. Can someone's, like we talked about last week, uh, someone's passion or zeal, can that provoke us to, in a good, positive way? Absolutely. But recognize this. Don't try to mimic someone. Don't, don't think you have to look exactly like and be exactly, look, God has gifted you differently. God's gifted us uniquely. That you and I are significant and important, not of ourselves, but in the calling that God has called us. In how God has equipped us. And maybe you truly battle with some of those feelings of inferiority. Or you have these feelings of inadequacy. Insecurity. And maybe because it's, you're playing the comparison game. You're comparing yourself to the measure of others. And Paul says, look, that's not wise to compare. It's not wise to compare. And again, we all struggle with this. I've shared with you before, sometimes like, like I'll listen to or I'll watch someone. I'll think, wow, like, man, they had like, and, and I like to, to listen to like different interviews um, or debates with certain people. And, and like, sometimes it's like, wow, like, man, you know, that person was trying to stump them. You know, that, that uh, reporter was trying to like stump this Christian or that the host of that show thought they were going to trap trap this person in this gotcha question and oh man they were ready with that response and it was so good so biblical and I think man like if that was me I'd probably be like stuttering and stammering and falling all over my words and not have a good answer on the spot and here's the thing that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be inspired and, and try to grow in certain areas grow in our knowledge of the word of God grow in the area God's called us to to grow in like we, we all can should say well, there's room for improvement amen but Stop beating yourself up by comparing to someone else. Stop trying to compare. Look, God has maybe gifted someone in a unique way to, to have a certain ability or talent, or, or maybe it's a, a certain way they communicate, or maybe it's a certain opportunity that's come your way. And, and if we're constantly comparing, man, we're going to be miserable. We're going to be overcome with just, a, a, just insecurity, and maybe that's going to lead to jealousy over certain abilities or certain opportunities and recognize this look god's called you to do something that you're going to find your purpose and your identity in who you are in christ and what god has called you to do he's equipped you he's equipped you in a unique way god has opportunities for you run that race and that's exactly what he's going to say in verse 13 he says we're not going to boast of things without our measure outside of our lane but rather according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. So he's using this, these phrase like measure of rule, and he's alluding to like what would be literally lines in a race. He's saying God's got a lane for you to run in and run that race. God has a measure that he's the one that gives to you. Does that mean that we're not passionate? No. It doesn't mean that, we, that we're not bold and have faith and, and even pray sometimes for more opportunity that God would give to us. But recognize those things come from God. So don't be arrogant about it. And then on the other hand, don't be discouraged. Don't be jealous. 
Look, if God's maybe blessed someone with a certain opportunities and maybe they have a certain platform or maybe even at work, it seems like, well, I'm overlooked and, and, and but I'm working really hard and I'm trying to be honest and, and, and someone else who, who they, it seems like that opportunity has gone to them and recognize this. Look, God has something for you and a purpose for you that God has a measure of rule. And he's like, look, God's the one that's distributed. So it seems like what Paul's saying, even the apostle Paul recognized, look, God hasn't called me to do everything. God hasn't called me to do everything. Now he's the one that brought, in verse 14, he says, he's brought the gospel to them. He says, we stretch not ourselves beyond that measure as though we reach not unto you, for we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things without our measure, that is of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. So it seems like he's saying, look, he even knew his limitations of what God called him to do. And if the apostle Paul had limitations of what God called him to do, surely you and I can recognize, look, every opportunity that's out there isn't necessarily from God. God hasn't called you to say yes, and, 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 and maybe that's the struggle. That you just can't tell people no. And there's a lot of opportunities that have come your way. But the question is this, are those from God? Is God putting those things on your heart? Is God the one that's equipping you in these areas? And sometimes we can get stretched so thin with trying to step outside of our measure that God's given to us. And, and yet the reality is, look, be content with where God's placed you. Don't be complacent, right? We should constantly be growing in our knowledge of the word of God. In the gifts that God has given to us constantly by his grace, be developing those gifts. Don't become complacent, but also recognize that we can be content with the opportunities that God gives. In fact, he's saying this, when your faith increases, then opportunity is going to increase. When your faith increases, he says, then that opportunity also will increase. In verse um, 15, he says, not boasting things without our measure, that is of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased will be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. Then look, sometimes maybe God doesn't give you a certain opportunity Maybe there's times God doesn't give an opportunity that you really want this opportunity and you really want this door to open. But God knows that you're not ready yet for that opportunity. And God has to do a work in you first. And maybe it's an increase of faith. That as God increases your faith, as God increases you and brings you to that place, then he's going to enlarge that opportunity. What I'm simply saying is this, that I think we can, we can find ourselves in this same battle where we're comparing and, 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 and we're, we're either boasting in an arrogant way or we're defeated in a way where we just feel so inadequate and recognize this. Look, God has a race and a measure for each of us. God has a measure for each of us. He says, I'm not going to boast on another man's labor. Now, ultimately, he's going to say, really, the only thing to glory in is the Lord. Or, you know, back in 1 Corinthians, we've already alluded back to the, that whole argument that they were having about one, one group was saying, I want to be of Paul, one saying, I'm of Apollos, and one saying, I'm of Peter. And Paul just squashes that, and he says, no, 
No, stop doing that. He says, who are we? We're just God's servants. We're just God's servants. And so while ultimately what we do and, and what our work is for God is for God to be glorified, Paul's also saying there's really no honor in just building on another man's work. Like if God's blessing someone in an area, it doesn't mean that, that maybe God won't, wouldn't call you to come and be a part of that. But it seems like what he's saying is, look, there's no, there's no glory in like stepping over and then trying to take credit for what God's used someone else to do. I think that itself is, shows a wrong mentality, that it's really not about us anyway. Paul's saying, rather, look, glory in the Lord. Glory in the Lord. He says, but he, verse 17, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord, because he is the only one worthy of that glory. Amen. God is the only one even worthy to receive that glory. And he says this, for, for not he that, that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. I love that verse. Because look, yeah, it's not really, doesn't really matter. People can pat themselves on the back and give their own praise, their own, you know, the, the own, uh, you know, commendation of how wonderful they are. But he's like, ultimately, it's not really about what you say about yourself. And honestly, it's really not even about what others say about you. And we want to have a good reputation. We want to have a reputation that's honorable to Christ. But ultimately, there's times where you are following God and you are, are acting with integrity, and it's still not going to please others. Seemed like that's the case here. They were misjudging him. Maybe you've been misjudged, but know this. Know this. It's not about the person that commends or applauds themselves. It's about who, who is God approving of? It's what does God truly know about you? And I know that's easier said than done, because sometimes it can really hurt, like, when maybe, again, we're talking application here, maybe in a sense, not in this direct way, but in a sense, you've maybe experienced some of this misjudgment of, of, of people that just have trying to poke at you or trying to make you feel unworthy or trying to make you feel inadequate, trying to make you feel like your calling is insignificant. Well, it's not really about what others think. It's not even really about our own commendation of our own self. It's about what does God know? What is approved? What is accepted by him? He says, for he that commendeth himself, it's for not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. You know what matters most? What matters most is what God knows, what God approves of. And look, God's called you. God's called me in a unique way. Are we an apostle taking the gospel to put play. No, not in that, not in that sense. Right. But yet Paul here is really giving a defense of, Hey, I'm called by God. Here's the marks of an apostle, right? I'm trying to approach you with meekness and humility. I'm not using car uh, carnal weapons to fight in a spiritual way, not you know, making these human comparisons and falsely judging. Yet the reality is God has called us and he has a measure of rule or a lane for us to run something that only God wants you to do. And you know what? We need to find our really identity and freedom in who we are in the Lord and follow what God's called us to do. 
And you don't have to compare to someone else. Now, again, maybe someone's passion for God can, can excite you. That's a good thing. But don't feel inadequate just because you can't do something you think as well as someone else. Look, within the body, within the church, what I love about the church is that God is gifted and un uniquely gifted each and every one of us. Do some of those gift gifts overlap? Sure. But you're part of that church. You're part of the body. And Christ has something for you. Don't, don't make the mistake of allowing others or even yourself, right? Maybe that's one of those imaginations that needs to be torn down of you're constantly beating yourself up and feeling inadequate or inferior. Look, God's gifted you uniquely. God's gifted me and ultimately it's for his glory. Because if we're going to glory in anything, we should glory in the Lord. Let's